Well, good morning to everybody that is watching online, and of course, good morning to everybody out here on the lot. We've got a good crowd out here today, and I uh, just want to remind you as we get underway, yes, I heard it, oh, over here, that's good. You can do it in any pitch you want, according to Trent. You can say hallelujah, however you want, or oh, or oh, whatever you want to say. All right. So, there's an oh over there. I love it. This is so good. So, hey, don't forget, it is the last Sunday of July, and as you're thinking about giving for the month, uh, that we have an incredible opportunity right now where we have an individual that has come forward and said, hey, we will match dollar for dollar for the building campaign up to $750,000. Again, every week that we're out here on the lot reminds us that, oh, a building would be oh so sweet. Now, this is a pleasant morning today. That's awesome, but we've had some hot ones. We've had some cold ones, and it will be eventually great to have a facility going down the road. So we want to keep that in mind because that is some good stuff there. So kind of keep it before you as you're thinking about giving for this month. Now we're not here to talk about giving today, but rather we are here in a series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago uh, that we've entitled Called. And, and the heart behind this, I want you to understand the heart behind the series is not simply to celebrate or talk about all the ways that we get to enjoy God's calling on our life in his grace, though that's true, we get to enjoy it. But this series is about how we are called to express the calling of God in our lives. That we're meant to do things in the world in such a way that we bring flourishing and blessing in fact, the series started off going back to Abraham and, and knowing that God wanted to actually use Abraham and his descendants to change the world, to bless all the nations, to bless the community that every church and every believer finds themselves in. We are to be that agent of change and we are to do that with the people that we get along with and the people we don't get along with. We're to do that with the people that are easy to love and the people that are difficult to love, the people that might make fun of our faith or the people that may embrace our faith. Whatever it is, we are called to make a difference, an authentic, grace-based, God-laced difference in the world. That is what the series is all about. So the first week, we learned the fact that we are called out of an old way of life. We are called into a new relationship with a person, which is Jesus Christ. And from that, we are called for a reason. And the first reason we learned was holiness. And by now you should know our working definition of holiness because I say it as often a chance as I get that we are really to love in mercy and justness because that is true holiness. And that is the holiness, the otherness, the uncommonness that God showed toward us, right? That in his love, he extended mercy and maintained his justness by taking what we deserved and then giving us what we didn't deserve, which is his position, his righteousness, his love, his salvation. So that is true holiness, and we are to be holy in our world as well. Now to maybe unpack this a little bit more kind of leads us into the second thing that we're called to, and really the topic of the morning. And it's a topic that, weirdly enough, we're going to have to do a little unlearning to do some learning. Because the topic is about a word that we are familiar with, but maybe not in the way the Bible uses this word. It's this whole idea that we are called to freedom. And when the Bible speaks of this freedom, it means certain things. Now, before we get underway, I want to remind you that we have an app and there's some notes with points that you can follow along with today. And so if you want to get that out right now, you totally can. There's a number of passages that we're going to be racing through today. But as we do that, I want to go ahead and prepare us just by appealing to Christ, appealing to his spirit, 
to teach us, to guide us, to expose some of the hidden spots in us that maybe we're not always prone to live the calling that we're called to live out. And that from that, we can be even more effective in that purpose. And so right now, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump right into this. So Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you didn't simply say, you know what, I'm going to do this thing for you, and I'm going to rescue you so you can enjoy it, but rather, you called us to a purpose. You called us to a mission. You called us to be difference makers in this world. And I pray that that is more precious to us than anything else that we realize the magnitude and the opportunity and yet the joy that is found when we live in such a way that what you desire of us, we most desire to accomplish for you because that's what it's all about. That we weren't simply rescued so that we could retire in a new spiritual condition, but rather we were rescued so that we could invest into our world in the way that you see fit to bless our city, to bless our state, to bless our nation, and to bless all the nations because that's, that's your goal. That's why you came into the world, Jesus. And so help us to see that, help us to own that, help us to ditch some of the baggage that we take on that keeps us from our calling and help us to more graft in and embrace what it is you seek of us. We want to live in your freedom and live out what that freedom means. And so help us to do that, not simply this morning. Help us to learn this morning, but then do it throughout our lives. So we thank you and we praise you in your good and perfect name. Amen. So freedom. Freedom is one of those things that we dig at all kinds of levels, right? We love movies about freedom. How many people are Braveheart fans around here? Right? There you go. Old school. People under 20 are like, brave what? They don't even know what that is, right? But, but Braveheart, man, rad movie. It's all about freedom. Or The Patriot, or 12 Years a Slave, or The Matrix, or Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings. I mean, you name the movie, so much of our love of these films is because it's all about this fight for freedom, a desire for freedom to be rid of the tyranny and embrace a sense of liberty. So we love this. We also debate freedom a lot in our culture we debate which group understands the the fullest range of freedom is it the libertarians is it the classic liberals is it the conservatives who has the vision for the greatest level of freedom and so we debate these things we long for these things we even have a special day to celebrate freedom where we blow stuff up and shoot stuff in the air and send people to the er because they're missing a digit now but it was fun right? All kinds of stuff all around freedom. In fact, so much so that I think as a culture, the idea of America and freedom, they're virtual synonyms, right? To think of one is to really think of the other. We almost can't help but kind of fundamentally picture it that way because that's the essence of what our culture is predicated on. And it goes all the way back to something we dealt with at the beginning of this month, This idea that from the pen of Jefferson came an idea about freedom that we saw was true for all human beings. In fact, in your notes, I've put a definition of what I think American freedom probably captures, and it's really just kind of rearranging Jefferson's words. But I think the essence of what we understand about freedom is the right to live my life and pursue my happiness as I see fit, and I might add in there, provided I don't hurt anybody else in the process, But as I see fit, because God endowed all people with the inalienable right to liberty. This is sort of the essence of Jefferson's concept. And when you think about it as political prose, this is a powerful definition. 
because what Jefferson was really capturing is the idea that it doesn't matter if you are a king or a commoner, fundamentally everybody gets up in the morning and they put their pants on the exact same way, one leg at a time. Unless you're like Chuck Norris and then he just holds them out in front of him and jumps in, right? But everybody else, one leg at a time. And so that's what Jefferson locks into. He says, hey, listen, when we were made by God, God made us with freedom, and that freedom entitles us to the opportunity to live our best life, to seek those things that bring happiness, to seek those things that are true liberty, that give me a sense of life. This is what I'm endowed with by God. That's the fundamental focus of the tapestry of our culture. And so when Thomas Jefferson writes this for the first time, he, let's say, takes it to his poli-sci professor. And he's like, here's my thought. And his poli-sci professor reads this, and he's like, Tommy J., dude, this is brilliant. This is like one of the most fundamentally powerful ideas we have ever seen kind of postulated in politics. Boom, baby, A-plus statement, fantastic. So then Tommy J.'s like, this is really great, man. I just got an A-plus in my poli-sci class, and now I've got Theology 1 across the hall. I'll just take the same idea to Theology 1 because it's really born out of philosophy, and philosophy and theology have an interrelated connectivity, and so I'll take it to my theology class and see what my professor says. And so he goes over there. He says, we all have enable rights given by God for freedom. And then the theology professor, professor goes, that's an F-minus. That's no A-plus. That's an F-minus. And it begs the question of why. Why in a poli-sci class is that an A+, plus, and in a theology class, it's an F-? minus? Because there's a difference between these two disciplines. Here's why. When we read through the Bible, it does not say that we were endowed by God with rights such as freedom or liberty, Right? The pursuit of happiness and life. We weren't endowed with those things by God. In fact, if anything, when you read the Bible, just read the book of Romans, for example, and what's going to say is actually you were endowed by Adam with bondage, with sin, with the inability to truly be free. So while one says, no, God is the agent who gives us freedom, the other says, no, actually God says, because of Adam, you are bound, you are enslaved, you are chained up, you are not, in fact, free at all. That's jarring, right? Th that kind of, kind of flies in the face of what we're acquainted with or accustomed to, or we assume about the things of life. But listen, don't take my word for it. I didn't write the book. I'm just the mailman. I get to show what the mail is all about. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 6. It's speaking of our pre-get-to-know-Jesus state, our pre-saved state. He says, once you were slaves of sin, Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. So just that framework right there, where Jefferson says, no, you are born free and therefore pursue things in your freedom. The Bible says, no, you are born in bondage and everything you pursue, you think is freedom, but it's deeper bondage. Your pursuit of life and liberty and happiness is under this, or it's built on a foundation that actually has you a bit deceived, and you think these things are creating greater freedom for you, but they will in fact create greater bondage for you if you don't understand your deeper fundamental problem, that you're stuck in a condition that self-deceives. But see, this is why I think this whole idea is so problematic. 
And, and part of what then makes it a bit of a challenge is because the foundation is actually we're in bondage. Then what we're really seeking is things that satisf- satisfy the self or our lusts, or our passions, or our will. And therefore, we look for things that we think are freedom agents, but the Bible would say they're actually enslaving agents. They're, they're things that we think are going to give us more of the freedom we seek, but actually they will create more of the bondage that we are stuck in. Think about some of the slavers that promise us freedom. We think about investments or lenders or occupations, and they'll give us financial freedom. But then so often in life, finances become a burden. Or we think about the toys or the gadgets or the trips we can take because it's our free time and we get to do this with our free time. But the pretty soon, you're having to tend to all of these things, pay for all of these things, and then the freedom doesn't quite feel so free. Maybe we have the thinkers or the politicians or the self-help coaches and they go, they're going to free up my life, free up my anxiety, free up my schedule. They promise a lot of freedom. But we have to remember Peter's words. He says of those who, again, are maybe misguided in this idea of freedom that they promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption for you are a slave to whatever controls you so he says this in second peter and it kind of reminds us that uh, you know for all the experts in the world for all the assumptions of all the ways that we can pursue freedom if you just stop and think about it for a couple of minutes as a culture you will recognize that we're actually in bondage to many things under the guise of freedom we're in bondage to money we're in bondage to our own emotions we're in bondage to stuff we're in bondage to our gadgets we're in bondage to division right i mean going back earlier the libertarians the liberals or the conservatives man if there's any battle that's going on that's the battle and means we're all in bondage to the battle i mean there's so many things that we think are going to give freedom and yet we have we have bondage and this is why jesus came jesus goes back to his hometown opens up the scroll of Isaiah, begins to read the scroll, gives his mission statement, why he showed up in the world. It says in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus is just affirming the problem. That in Adam, we are all endowed with certain inalienable problems. Bondage, sins, chains. We are stuck. And he comes to bring the unstuck element, to take us out of this thing that is captivity and bring us into this thing that is genuine, actual freedom. And so what we want to first know, if you're taking notes this morning, is number one in your notes, true freedom only comes through Jesus. Not rights, or stuff, or a change in scenery. See, the rights, stuff, and the change in scenery, those are the things we typically ascribe to being able to afford us freedoms in life. So if life was just more fair for me, then I would be free. Or if I just had more money, then I would be free. Or if I just had a different job or a different house or a different spouse, then I would be free. So there's always this, if I can change the scenery, if I can change the conditions, if I just get a new thing, a different thing, upgrade to another thing, then I'm going to be free. And all of that says, no, you really won't because here's the deal, right? Sin and slavery just follow one another. And so until the sin issue is addressed, the slavery issue can't be addressed. 
Jesus is the only source of freedom. He's the only one that can solve it. In fact, Paul says this. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So Paul is unequivocal about this. He he just knows matter-of-factly that our real problem was X, and Jesus is the only solution, and when Jesus is the solution, then everything in the conditions change. Now, I wish I had more time to actually unpack this passage out of Romans, right? Because there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is really, really important to understand, right? But but I, but I think the most important thing to understand is that a lot of the things that we attribute as freedom in our world before Jesus, they're just common forms of what we think will give us the freedom we seek, right? So to us, we don't easily identify the sin-bondage relationship and the many false things that we glob onto to try to accomplish freedom. We don't see it because like that's just the way things are done in the world. But now when we begin to see the freedom that the Bible articulates, it's an uncommon kind of freedom. So there's the normal freedoms all human beings sort of identify, and then there's this other version of freedom that has different assumptions that now we have to learn about. We have to unlearn some kinds of freedom and learn other kinds of freedom. And and, and so that's where then Paul begins to take us, to help us to understand that the freedom we have in Christ is a different kind of freedom than the definitions or articulations of the world and certainly the expectations. And so from this, we see the second thing in your notes. You are called to freedom. It's true. But you're called to freedom from the bondage of rules. So in Galatians chapter 5, starts in verse 1, it says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery, which makes it sound like you can get tied up again in slavery. For you have been called to live in freedom. So there's our key verse of the day. You are called to live in freedom. He has set you free indeed. This is who you are. This is what you have. This is what he's made available in your life through his work. It's super awesome. But free in what regard? Well, I left off a point of Galatians. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and do not get tied up again in slavery. Ready? To the law. For you have been called to live in freedom. That is weird. Right? Paul says, Jesus has set you free from the Old Testament prescriptive words of God and and all 613 rules that he, he gave to Israel. See, here's why I think that's weird. We typically think, well, wait. Rules are good. Rules lead to freedom. Rules are positive. If you follow the rules, you will be blessed. And now Paul's rolling in and saying, well, wait a minute, though. Actually, the law, the rules, the system was slavery, and Jesus set you free from that. That is a confusing idea. Now, is Paul trying to say that the law is bad? No. Here's what Paul is going to get at, and he also does this in Romans chapter 7. He says, the law is fine, but we just don't do any good when it comes to us doing the law. Or maybe to put it another way, the law is good, but when we interact with the law, it draws out the worst in us. We see a certain set of rules, and we go, I want to break those rules. That's what he says in Romans 7. Every time we see a rule, there's the spirit in us that says, I want to rebel against that rule. And you know this to be true. Right? We know all the examples. You go to the Grand Canyon, there's a sign, don't throw rocks, so your kid grabs a rock. That's the very first move. Wet paint, do not touch. Well, I just want to see if it's tacky. 
We just went through an entire year and a half of rules and mandates and requirements from our state. And what did that do in you? What was your habit? What was your first inclination? I don't want to do it. We're, this is just the nature of our person. We struggle to some degree with rules. And it's always been that way. Human nature for thousands of years has looked at God's rules and said, they're silly, they're dumb, they're hard. They, they, they take away from my desire to do what I want to do, whatever it is. And Paul knows this. He knows that our bondage nature causes us to look at a law or a rule and say, no, no. So what Jesus then needs to do is two things. He needs to remove that inclination in us to say no. And he also needs to deal with the rules that want to spark that no in us. All of that is true. And so Jesus came to set us free from both things. From our nature to rebel and from the law that initiates our rebellion. Now at this point you're saying, so Matt, what you're saying then is that it's okay for me to sin. You're saying it's okay for me to break the rules. Well, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying you can. I mean, if he sets you free from that, technically, you can. You can be difficult. You can be self-interested. You can, again, return to your slavery. I mean, that's what Paul said in Galatians 5. He says, don't fall victim again to the slavery, but you can. The issue, though, is why would you want to? Why would you desire that? Why would returning to old slavery instead of new freedom be more fun? Again, old slavery is familiar. Ask Israel. They're like, let's go back to Egypt, man. We knew stuff there. They had leeks and other great things to eat. That's fantastic. Right? So our temptation is always to go back to the former freedoms that are real slavery. But, but why would you honestly want to? Because it's only in this true slavery that there's abundance. There's a sense of eternal perspective. And there's the ability to actually change the world with genuine freedom that truly changes from the inside of a person out as opposed to tries to create external outside conditions and we hope it changes the person inside. No, man, no external condition, no set of policies or procedures can liberate the internal person. It's only the work of Christ and the freedom that he brings. That's the only thing that will do it and we are called to live in this freedom, to model this freedom, to see other people touched by this freedom. And that doesn't come by us being great rule keepers but rather it has everything to do with the third thing in your notes. You're called to freedom through the blessing of truth. Truth is different than rules in the Bible. There are rules and then there is truth. Jesus says this in John chapter eight. It says it to the people who believed in him. And I put that in quotes, right? Because as we will learn by the end of that chapter, the people who believed in him decide they want to stone him to death. So this is a, initially they like what he's saying, but pretty soon he's going to say stuff that ticks them off and they're not going to be about it. So to the people that quote, believed in him, he says to them, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus is speaking to a group of people that have a high value on laws and a high value regarding the rules, but they don't necessarily have a high value on truth. And here's the difference between truth and laws. Laws are things that you adhere to, but truth is something you live out. Truth is a higher, deeper thing about positive investment and true difference-making in the lives of others and in your own life. But laws are really just about prohibitions, right? Don't speed, don't steal, don't do this, you must do that. It's control, in essence. 
So law doesn't inspire, but truth inspires. Law doesn't necessarily love anybody. It, it just keeps hate at bay, but, but truth, that inspires love. In fact, in a small little letter that John writes to a church known as Second John, he says, this letter is from John the Elder, and I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children, that's the church, right? Whom I love in truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth. Because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. And so here's what I love about this. First of all, he says, here's what he does in the freedom. He deposits in you a truth, a love of truth, an indwelling sense of truth. That's the Holy Spirit of truth. That's this deeper idea of the word of truth that dwells within you. Christ is the essence of truth. So all of this is in you, and it's in you so that you can then live out in the context of life this truth. And how does that truth come out? Well, it says there, it's things like grace, mercy, peace, and love. Here's what's great about all those phrases. Grace mercy, peace, and love. Ready? You must export those into other people's lives for those things to be exercised. Grace requires a certain thing when people fail you. Mercy requires a certain thing when people disappoint you. Peace requires a certain kind of thing when people stand against you. And we've already learned about love, that the the economy of holiness is loving your neighbor and loving your enemy just as you love yourself. So again, all of this is radical, but it's the only things that will change the world. It's the only stuff. This is how God blesses the nations, because truth is lived out in our lives. Here's what this means. It's the fourth thing in your notes, and perhaps one of the more challenging ones for all of us, certainly for me. You are called to freedom to be used toward others not demanded for yourself. Freedom is not, I'm free. I get freedom. Don't mess with my freedom. That's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is, it's not about me. I am free to serve you. I am free to invest in you. It's an altogether different kind of freedom. So we go back to Galatians chapter 5, where it says, you were called to freedom. Don't be enslaved again to law. Remember that whole statement? Well, here's the full statement. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it as an opportunity for yourself. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's one of the most confronting things in the topic of freedom in the Bible. Because he says, you know what? You are freed from 613 rules. You are freed from the bondage of your sin. Not so you can just bask in it by yourself, but rather you can invest it into others. That is the essence, calling, and the draw of freedom. That is the supreme truth that we are all called to live out. And so when we think about our salvation, while it is true that you are entitled to heaven one day when you die... Before you get there, you get to serve the earth. You get to serve the difficult, the unlovely, the hard, the broken, because you are now God's ambassador and missionary to this essence and idea of freedom. You bring freedom to others that they don't even realize they need because they don't even know that they're in bondage. Instead, they seek other things, seeking their freedom when they're not real freedom. They're just decay. They just wear them out in the end and enslave them more. So we have a mission mission to live this calling 
to live free by caring for other people. That's what we're called to. I want you to imagine the scene. Here's Peter writing. It's a few decades after Jesus is resurrected. People have become believers, and from that, they're facing some of the challenges of the Roman Empire. So some of them have lost their ability to sell in the marketplace because you have to pay tribute to Caesar, which is sort of like paying tribute to a deity, so they won't let you sell in the marketplace. There is a concerted effort against the Christians from the political structure. Even people who are Roman citizens and should have certain civil rights, those are being abandoned because, again, they're not honoring the stakes and statements of Rome. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of poverty going on within the church that Peter writes to, this scattered group of Christians and this is what he says to them. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The ignorance that was standing against Christians in that day was the Christians don't want to contribute to society. The Christians think they're better than everybody else. The Christians are too uppity for everybody. They don't honor our, our, our politics. They don't honor our sense of patriotism as an empire. There was all these things that they saw the Christians as being the problem concerning. And from this, Peter says, so flip the script. Disrupt the stereotype of what they think you are. How does he say they do this? He says, live as people who are free. Awesome, what does that mean? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So whatever evil is, it's the opposite of being a servant. That's all I know. I don't know what else it is, but it's the opposite of servanthood. He says, so simply live as servants of God. We go, great, Peter, how? He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. See, the servants here go out of their way to say, you know what? This world is passing. It's passing, and from that, I need to honor all that I come in contact with. It's passing, and so I need to love all that are around me. It's passing, and so I need to show respect even to the people I most am bothered by, I most disagree with. Even some of those people that are leaders or rulers or governors or whatever the label we give, those are the people I still want to honor because it flips the script and it shows that I'm trying to serve in love and be holy by showing love and mercy and justice more than anything else because that is the essence of biblical freedom. I started with this idea that American freedom is the right to live my life and pursue my happiness as I see fit because God endowed all people with the inalienable right of liberty. But biblical freedom is the responsibility to live my life in the truth of sacrificial love and service to all people for the sake of their flourishing just as Jesus did for me. Very different forms of freedom. And so you and I, we are free, and we're called to freedom, but it's a freedom to live in grace and peace and mercy and truth and love for all people because that's the calling that makes the difference. That's the calling that will change lives. And frankly, when we live in the spirit of that calling, taking steps of faith and trust, even when it's hard, man, we're going to feel more freedom in our lives as well. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for hard things. I mean, I'm sitting there just looking at all of these passages this week and wrestling with the freedom that I know versus the freedom that you expect. And then it just makes me remember of all of my own personal selfishness. 
all of it's about me or all of my comfort, all of my want, and I don't want to be inconvenienced by other people. I certainly don't want to necessarily have to respect or honor people that I disagree with, and yet none of that will change the world. That's just the way the world has worked forever, right? Disagreement, debate, not service, about me, not you, my side, not their side. I thank you that you are altogether different. So help us to be different in your name.